Um, hey, if we've never met before, uh, my name's Ed, and with my wife Jess, uh, we lead St. Matt's, um, and we love this church, we're passionate about it, and um, yeah, we're, we, if, if you're here for the first time, I guess what I want to say to you is you are so, so welcome. Like, uh, we want this to be home for you, we want you to, to find belonging and purpose and meaning here with us. Our vision is to love Jesus and transform Exeter, and the way that we do that is... Um, one of the ways we do that, I guess, is by gathering together, by spending time together on a Sunday. And in this place, when we come together and we encourage each other and we worship together and we, and we do all that kind of stuff, like that's where real change happens, real growth happens, real purpose comes about. And so if you're new, uh, I want to encourage you to introduce yourself to a member of our team. We'd love to get uh, you plugged into everything that we're doing. Um, and tonight we are continuing a little series of talks called How to Pray. Um, and it's a series, I guess, looking at prayer. And prayer is one of those things, oh, that's going to really pop, isn't it? I'm just going to switch out now if that's all right. Sorry, guys. Two secs. Slick. So... <laughs> Prayer is one of those things that we know is almost universal, like almost everyone on earth prays. Uh, but at the same time, it can be one of the most frustrating, one of the most challenging elements of following Jesus. And um, this series, I guess, is about working out um, what it means to persevere, to keep going, even to grow in prayer and allow that relationship with God to change and transform every part of our lives. And um, Josh, who is leading worship tonight, uh, started this series a couple of weeks ago, looking at the way in which Jesus needed to pause and, and take himself away from everyday life to spend time in the presence of his Father, to listen to the voice of God. Last week, my amazing wife Jess spoke to us about um, what it means to rejoice in the face of so many different uh, troubles and circumstances and to pray continually through those things. And tonight I want to speak about shameless audacity. Shameless audacity. How do we bring the things that we need, the things that we want, the things that we really, really care about, how do we bring them to God in a way that's real and honest and persistent? How do we pray about those things boldly and without fear? When I was growing up, my parents uh, thought it would be a really, really good idea for me and my sisters to learn to play the violin, um, which just in, my parents maybe just thought that I was like too cool and fitted in too much at school and had too many friends and they needed something to ground me. And they thought that carrying a violin to school every day would really help with that. So um, from the age of five until I was 14, I had a violin lesson every single week. And um, let me just say this at the beginning. I know some people who play strings, um, and it's beautiful. Be like beautiful instrument, like music that moves the soul, uh, music that can make you feel like um, alive and, and empowered, and all this kind of incredible stuff, like just beautiful sound. And I am not one of those people. Like, despite having a lesson every single week, I never really practiced, I never really applied myself, I never really uh, committed myself to that process. And as a result, it sounded awful. Like, absolutely awful. I'm pretty sure that the main outcome of my violin lessons was that local dogs were pretty upset by the sound, which was ironic because it sounded like animal cruelty was taking place in our house as I practiced. Like, it sounded horrific. And my mum and dad, they started to notice that um, I wasn't making the progress maybe that they were hoping I was going to make. And, and they thought, how can we inspire him? How can we encourage him to like, keep practicing his violin? I know, we'll send him to an orchestra. Like, what better place for somebody who plays the violin really badly than an orchestra? And my parents sent me along to the West Midlands Youth String Orchestra. And I went to that for three years, again, every single week. 
And uh, the problem was, having never practiced and having never tried and having never committed myself to, to playing, I couldn't really play. I didn't know what I was doing. I couldn't even read the music in front of me. And I needed a coping mechanism. And the coping mechanism that I came up with was that I would pretend to play the violin. And so for three years in an orchestra, I mimed playing the violin while everyone else around me was playing. Like my bow was about a centimeter above the strings and I had the face and the body language and like the pose and everything. I looked like, a, a, like an amazing strings player, but uh, if you got close, you would hear nothing. And um, you know what, it turns out that was actually quite a successful strategy. That, that worked for me. Our orchestra um, had some real um, wins. We went on tour around Europe. Um, I never played a note. <laughs> we won awards and competitions as an orchestra, and I never played a single note. And then there was this one time when something in the violin section of the orchestra wasn't sounding quite right. And so the conductor decided that one by one, each of us should play a musical phrase so that he could hear where the problem was. And so I sat at the back, obviously, because I wasn't really playing anything. And, and, and one by one, everyone around me was asked to play this little musical phrase. And, and, you know, like at the front, that was kind of okay. It felt like it was far enough away. But just one by one, I felt like my heart beginning to pound within my chest. My blood pressure was increasing. Like the stress was rising as the person next to me played it. And then it came to me. And there was this awkward moment where he was like, Ed, your turn. And I was silent. I was like, I can't mime my way out of this. I can't pretend my way out of this. I can't uh, try and blend in anymore. I can't try and uh, fit in with everyone around me. Uh, I've been rumbled. And after a kind of really awkward silence of me not moving and him just kind of waiting for something to happen, he moved on. And, and at the end of that, I packed up my violin and I never went there again. But... I was so ashamed. I was so embarrassed in that moment. And I wonder sometimes whether we approach prayer in the same way. Like we wonder why other people's prayers get answered and ours don't. We wonder why other people's prayers sound better and look better and, and, and seem to do more than our prayers. We, we start to wonder why some people see miracles every single day and, and, and others of us who never seem to see those things even when we really, really need to. To be even more honest with you today, I, I was kind of trying to avoid giving a talk within this series called How to Pray because I can't tell you that I find prayer easy can't tell you that every prayer I pray get, gets answered. I can't tell you that there are these three simple things that if you apply them to your life, your, your prayer will be amazing and it'll be empowering and it'll be wonderful. All I can tell you is this, that I have seen and I'm learning the impact that persistent prayer can have on me, on the people around me, on my family, my friendships, my kids, my marriage. And I am convinced that if we can get back to the essence of prayer, simple, real and honest prayer, as individuals, as a community, as a, a city even, we'll see amazing things happen around us. Jesus' teaching on prayer, it's not complicated at all. Um, his disciples turned to him, having followed him for, for a long time, and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. It's in Luke chapter 11, the passage I want to read from tonight. And, and the prayer that he taught them is, is probably the most famous prayer uh, in the world. The Lord's Prayer, we often call it. 
But I want to look at the context of those verses. So if you've got a Bible or you can look it up on your phone, uh, just Google Luke 11. We're going to start at verse 5 together. But this is Jesus' simple teaching on how to pray. And it's also going to appear on the screen. It says this, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I wonder today if God is inviting us, asking us, calling us to leave behind the preconceptions that we have about prayer. And he's inviting us to become bolder, more audacious, more shameless, more persistent, more purposeful in our prayers. Jesus uses this story of a, uh, a visitor um, coming incredibly late in the night. The, the name of this parable should be the, the parable of the annoying neighbor. Because it was the custom in the ancient world that when a guest arrived in your house, that you would uh, feed them, you would provide for them. No matter how late it was, you would greet them with a meal, no matter what. And, and that was kind of difficult in this time where there were no fridges and no freezers. There was no um, oven-ready pizza. There was no delivery at half past one. Let's face it, we've all been there. So to avoid the, the potential embarrassment of letting down this guest, they, they go to their neighbor's house and they begin to knock on the door like again and again and again, asking for some bread. Can you imagine the awkwardness of this situation? I found myself in a similar place not that long ago. Growing up with my mates in Shropshire, we'd go out for a night on the town, which is not a big thing in Shropshire. Uh, but sometimes that meant getting home late and we were staying at one of their parents' houses. And uh, quite a few times we would come back at maybe, uh, you know, sometime after midnight. And, and we'd have suddenly realised that we didn't have a key to get into the house or, or that the parents had already locked the door. And one time I remember it was mid-January and it was freezing cold and we arrived back at my friend's house. And um, it was that moment of like, oh no, like now we're locked out. There's no way we're getting in. I think that his parents had bolted the door. And I'd seen in some films this like really lovely idea that you could wake people up by just like picking a small stone off the ground and throwing it gently at their window. And I'm not, I'm not the best at throwing. So the first few attempts at that kind of missed the window and landed on the house around it. And then maybe like a few stones hit the window, but not enough to wake them up. And I just thought like, what are we going to do? I don't want to spend a night freezing cold in January in their garden. And so I picked up another stone, but I looked back and I realized it wasn't much of a stone it was more of a rock and um, let's just say his mum was not pleased to be woken up with a broken window and a rock landing on her bed at 1.30 in the morning you know just like imagine the awkwardness of this situation imagine that the need that um, this neighbour goes on and on and on about it Jesus' example it's not the friendship it's not the relationship it's the persistence of this ask that gets answered in the end and I think this is probably one of the best phrases in the whole Bible. Yet because of your shameless audacity, 
he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. That's the invitation for us, to be shamelessly audacious in prayer. Prayer that we keep praying until we see it get answered. Prayers that are not filtered by our embarrassment or our awkwardness or our politeness. Prayers that are raw and real. Prayers for the things that we really need to see God do. And I don't know about you, but I can fall into a habit of allowing my prayers to get smaller and smaller than they need to be. As though somehow God needs to filter my, my passion or my hopes or my dreams. You know, one of the best ways that you can see that you're, you're getting stuck in that rut is that you start to say just in your prayers. God, if you would just do this. Or God, we just ask that you do this. And we start to limit what we believe God is really capable of. When the reality is that Jesus has told us to ask for the things we need, the things we desire, even the things that we want. This story of the annoying neighbor at midnight, Jesus is inviting us to ask boldly. There's not this formula that we have to act a certain way or behave a certain way or, or do a certain number of things to, to have our prayers answered. We need to break this conception that God's somehow like a sleepy neighbor and we're having to kind of wake him up and he's annoyed with us and he's disappointed with us for asking. It's instead, it's, it's our perseverance that he responds to. And somehow we believe that if we haven't prayed enough or we haven't served enough or we haven't had enough faith or we haven't been good enough that he won't hear us. I want to say tonight, it's not the scale of our prayer, it's the audacity of our prayer that gives us the opportunity to come to God. We can trust him with the big things because we commit ourselves to trust him with the smallest things. And he invites us to keep knocking on the door again and again and again. Because that is how we remind ourselves that we are dependent on him. You know, we can't fix our own problems. We can't heal all of our own illnesses and diseases. But when we leave behind shame and we leave behind embarrassment and we leave behind politeness, we can ask him for the things that we really need. Verse 9 and 10, Jesus makes this seemingly impossible promise. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You know, when you read those words, it's hard to understand why, why all of our prayers don't get an instant green light. Why God doesn't just say, yeah, 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 have that thing. Have that thing. You've asked, so you're going to receive it. But I believe there are times when we will see obvious, clear answers to prayer. Moments when the, the miracles that we're praying for, we'll see them in front of our eyes and we'll know that it's the power of God. Times when we'll see answers to prayer that can only be the answers to prayer. They can only be the power of God. But if we read that verse with this simple transactional mindset, we miss the thing. Because God knows the things that are the best for us. He knows the plan for us. And no doubt there are prayers for many of us here tonight that things that we've prayed for in the past that we're now pretty glad that God didn't answer in the way that we wanted. That relationship you thought was everything. That job you thought was the, the making of you. That thing that you were so wedded to that you thought would make you happy, but wasn't going to solve any of your problems. We need to stop reading this verse like a transaction, as though God is some kind of vending machine where we put in the coin of prayer and out drops into the tray below the answer that we hoped for. Jesus is inviting us to get into the habit 
of asking for the things we need. The habit of seeking God's will for the things that we don't understand and repeatedly praying about the things that matter to us because he's not discouraged by our doubt. He's not worried by the things that worry us. He's inviting us to keep praying, to keep going. And if there's something you're praying for, that you've been praying for for years and years and years, I want to tell you, don't stop praying for it tonight. Don't stop praying for it tonight because there's this invitation to keep knocking on the door, seeking until you find and asking until you receive. What we know is that God's faithful in the waiting. And I don't know why every prayer doesn't get answered. Trust me, there are things that I have prayed for that it still hurts today that I didn't get the answer I was hoping for. But through prayer and through persistence, through audacious, shameless prayer, we discover the true nature of God. We discover his heart. So often the greatest miracle is the presence of Jesus in our circumstances rather than uh, our struggles. I love what Pete Gregg says about that. He says this, We often want God to airlift us out of our problems, and he more often than not parachutes in and joins us in the midst of them. Through it all, Jesus is answering his disciples when they say, teach us to pray. He's asking us to leave behind this this shame and this comparison and this embarrassment of unanswered prayer and to keep coming to him with courage, with audacity, And Jesus finishes with this really intriguing statement. He says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Today's Pentecost, a day that the church celebrates the gift that it was given. Sometimes it's called the birthday of the church. I think that's a great name for it. When they received in the upper room in Jerusalem the Holy Spirit for the first time, And I think the boldest, the most audacious, the most courageous prayer that we can pray is this, come Holy Spirit. On this day of Pentecost, we're reminding ourselves that for 2,000 years, Christians have stood together in churches and in homes and in hidden places, and they've prayed that prayer, God, fill us with your Spirit and the Spirit of God. The, The very essence of God comes and lives in them comes and and changes them, heals people, restores people, gives people a new identity, a new purpose, takes away pain, gives gifts and abilities and uh, skills that we could never have on our own. The Spirit who anoints each of us and sends us out, places us right where we're going to find ourselves tomorrow morning and equips us, anoints us to follow Jesus in those places. But here's the secret, I think. We have to ask. We have to ask. We have to go from being passive to saying, God, I want that. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want the Spirit of God, the the essence of God, to go with me into those places, to change me, to change how I feel about that situation. And the more we ask, that verse tells us, Jesus' words, the more God loves to pour out his Spirit. And this morning, it's not this morning, it's this evening. I'm very tired. This evening, I want us to ask. And if you've never prayed that prayer before, if you've never prayed, God, fill me with your spirit, I dare you this evening. I dare you to pray that prayer because I think you'll never be the same again. And so I'd love us to pray it now. Would you jump to your feet?